The following program is a PBS Wisconsin original production. I'm here today to talk about something that doesn't get enough attention. I'm here to celebrate the progress we're making to support black small businesses here and around the country. A Milwaukee visit from Democratic President Joe Biden foreshadows the political landscape to come in 2024 as Wisconsin Republicans make plans to maintain control of both chambers. I'm Frederica Freiber, tonight on Here and Now. Big breaking news from the Wisconsin Supreme Court on redistricting maps. Speaker Voss says Republicans are going to win in 2024 because of better candidates. Then details on a new tribal tuition promise at UW-Madison. And the head of the State Economic Development Agency says big tech is coming to Wisconsin. It's Here and Now for December 22. Funding for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and Friends of PBS Wisconsin. The Wisconsin Supreme Court released its ruling this afternoon overturning Wisconsin's voting maps. The vote was four to three with conservative justices dissenting. The liberal majority ordered new maps based on the contiguity of districts. Justice Jill Karofsky saying, quote, in Wisconsin, the number of state legislative districts containing territory completely disconnected from the rest of the district is striking. At least 50 of the 99 assembly districts and at least 20 of the 33 Senate districts include separate, detached territory. In dissent, Chief Justice Annette Ziegler said, quote, this deal was sealed on election night. Four justices remap Wisconsin even though this constitutional responsibility is to occur every 10 years after a census by the other two branches of government. Contentious, to be sure. Senior political reporter Zach Schultz joins us with details. And Zach, thanks very much for being here. My pleasure. So the court ruled detached territory or the contiguity of the maps violates the state constitution. Describe why. There are a number of districts where part of an old township, when a city incorporates and grabs a subdivision, it would leave a little island that belonged to an old township. And under the maps, in this, for the past few decades, they've left those with the other township. And if those happen on the dividing lines of an assembly district, part of that little island goes with the other district. Past courts, including just a couple of years ago, have ruled that that is okay. This court said precedent going back to the 1800s in the Supreme Court decided the Constitution said contiguity means contiguity. So what else stood out? Well, for me, it was absolutely the timeline of this and the fact that they're getting away from least change. That was the, the criteria that the last court invented for which they would consider these maps, saying that they wanted to change them as little as possible. This court said least change is not a factor. We don't think it should be used at all. It'll be thrown out. They're also going to look at partisan fairness as a metric. So this court has decided that they're going to give the legislature a chance to draw maps and see if they can come to a deal with the governor. Whether that happens is unlikely. Well, I was going to ask, who draws these maps? Well, there are the two routes. The legislature has the option of coming back and passing them. If they can work out a deal with the governor, those will supersede anything and it'll go into place. Since we know that's probably not going to happen, given the political reality we're in, the court has said that they will hire consultants to help look and appraise different maps that are brought to them and presented to them. Do all 132 legislators have to stand for election under <clears throat> new maps? Nope. And what they also ruled is that senators elected under the old maps just two years ago will not have to 
go up again until 26. So meanwhile, um, the court also set a January 12, January 12 deadline to submit these new maps. Talk about fast-tracked. This has been fast-tracked from the beginning, from this uh, lawsuit being filed the day that Justice Protasiewicz was sworn in, all the way to oral arguments in November, this unprecedented decision coming out in January. Candidates can file in these new districts in April, so they have to move on a fast timeline, which is why we're seeing the court say, we're going to do this at the same time the legislature can, because we don't trust them to get it done on time. And so, again, they're, they're hiring these consultants to help them do this. And, and knowing what we know about how this state works right now, I can't imagine that all of these pieces can come together in time for the next year's elections. Well, they have to. And that's what happens every 10 years everywhere else. It, it'll get done. It just people will be saying that they're just as biased in a different way than the last maps were biased in a different way. All right. We leave it there. Zach Schultz, thanks very much. Thank you. Republican Assembly Speaker Robin Voss says he expects this case to head to the U.S. Supreme Court. Zach spoke with the speaker prior to the MAPS ruling this week on a variety of issues, looking back at the last year and what's to come in 2024. Wrap up 2023 for me. How do you feel the year went for, for the legislature? You know, I think by and large, there were an awful lot of successes. If you go all the way back, um, you know, we have seen some things where it's obvious because we had a lot of coverage where uh, we had a good deal on shared revenue, the first major increase in a generation. We had a lot of money go into trying to create more housing in Wisconsin. Uh, we, of course, had the state budget, which invested in everything from schools to uh, local governments, and in addition to that, had good increases for our workers who work at the state, like prison guards. Um, we had some separate bills that didn't get as much coverage. Uh, one that I'm really proud of increased the amount of funding for literacy, because we know that if young people don't read at grade level, they're significantly less likely to graduate from high school and go on to college. Uh, we had a bill that actually worked its way through the process that uh, dealt with criminal justice. So we, we had a lot of good things that happened uh, throughout Wisconsin. Uh, we had some things that were disappointing they didn't get across the finish line. Uh, there are still some things waiting. So I voted and uh, we strongly supported a bill to make birth control available over the counter so we don't have a need for as many abortions in Wisconsin. Stalled the Senate, but hopefully that'll get across the finish line. Um, we had a bill that dealt with uh, processing ballots on uh, Monday so we don't have late night ballot dumps. That happened in the Assembly. Hopefully it'll pass in the state Senate. You mentioned as one of the successes just a little bit ago in the budget, the, the raises, and it took until just this week for the UW portion of those raises to come through. They were obviously negotiated the first time. Do you feel like you had leverage to negotiate over those of them a second time? And is that part of the lawsuit that Governor Evers has filed to try and stop some of the oversight that the legislature has? Well, again, this is where people try to rewrite history. Um, it's been very common that the legislative committee does not approve the final product until sometime in the fall. So we're in the normal timeline. That is a that is a bogus argument. Um, it also is true that the legislature has the ability to go through the comp plan, it's called, where they give us a whole bunch of changes as to the way they want to pay employees, what our insurance looks like, what happens with uh, different overtime or different rules for uh, regulating the workplace. All those things happen. And it's very common for us to do it. But you did separate out the raises, the state worker raises from the UW raises. And then you said, I'm not approving yeah. those until I get more changes. Yeah. Isn't that a second set of negotiations? No, over that's, no that's, the, that's the way that we normally have done things. Um, and again, there were a lot of things that worked their way through the process. They wanted an engineering building. They wanted more money for programs. Those were all things that were part of the process, too. And that's a normal way we negotiate. Look, we try to find a consensus. I give credit. 
uh, to President Rothman and the chancellors from around the university. They negotiated in good faith. They didn't give me anywhere near as much as I wanted. And we gave them a lot of things that they thought were important. That's what the world, I think, needs more of is consensus and compromise. Not if I don't get it exactly my way, I'm going to sue. Or if I don't find a way to get to an answer that only I can support, we do nothing. Speaking of the UW Board of Regents, how do you interpret those two votes? What changed between from the first to the second? I, you'd have to ask them. I, I have no idea. When you, Look, we negotiated for months. I, I know that the chancellors and President Rothman were in constant communication with the regents. I can't imagine they would have come to us and said we have a deal if they hadn't run them by, in an informal way, the regents. Now, my understanding through the rumor mill is that Governor Ebers and his staff were actively trying to kill the deal multiple times. They didn't want consensus. I don't know why, um, but they didn't want consensus. Now, ultimately, even the governor's own regents ignored his wishes and did the right thing. So I don't know why it happened, but the right thing happened in the end. Regarding DEI within the UW system, what will actually change with this deal? I mean, are you certain that this will actually root out DEI as you've requested, or will they just give it a new name? No, no, no. It's a start. Um, and let, let's just take one example, Zach, that's gotten an awful lot of um, not enough coverage, okay? In the 1940s and 50s, we had a problem where there was pervasive racism uh, for applications into the university system, right? If you didn't have the right skin color or perhaps the right gender, you didn't have a chance to get into the university. Well, smart people at the time decided that we were going to do a test, the SAT and the ACT over time, so that the best qualified people get to the university and are admitted based on their God-given ability. That's the norm for our society. It actually is required that every student take the ACT test. All of a sudden, COVID comes, and they couldn't have, gather together for the test, and the university decides we're no longer going to use standardized testing. We're going to let people write an essay. Well, that's exactly what they did in the 1940s and 50s when they had institutional racism, and now we're doing the opposite, where we're saying you can be the smartest kid, but if you don't do a, a good essay or do the right DEI code words, you're not admitted to Madison or you're not admitted to one of the other universities. That's awful. So we wanted to put the ACT test back in. They said absolutely not. So we compromised and said, we're going to take the top 5% of students in, in, uh, in the university uh, admittance from any school in Wisconsin, top 10% for anybody but Madison. I think that's a good compromise that wins for every parent so that you know if you have smart kids, they don't have to go to another state to be accepted. Why is that a loss? That's a win. So I think a lot of the things that we did were good, common sense, middle ground, finding ways to get to an answer that show that DEI isn't about um, diversifying the campus. That's what we believe in. We actually want more diversity. I want people be coming to the campus no matter what color or race you are. What they want is people giving special privileges based on certain categories that they like. Well, that's not the way the world should be. So diversity is what we support, but division, exclusion, and indoctrination, which is what it's become, is what we're opposed to. So how do you win the, the PR battle when it comes to people who see headlines and see Republicans are opposed to, to things that will help even out the playing field for black people who have been marginalized or discriminated against in the past. When those are the headlines- But it doesn't even out the playing field. What it does is it actually gives people a special advantage that if it was 1950s Alabama, we would call racism, right? It's 19, it's, it's the 2020s in Wisconsin. We don't want racism here either. We wanna make sure that if you are the smartest, best, most capable person, man, woman, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, who cares? You should get the job. You should get the position. You should be advanced. That's what I think everybody in Wisconsin wants. The idea that we're somehow going to now use a new filter of race as a way to offset the old filter of race is wrong. I mean, redlining's been illegal for over 50 years. It should be. It was horrific. 
right? All these things that were part of our history should never be forgotten, but never repeated. And a lot of the things that they're talking about is repeating the problems of the past to try to fix what they think are still the problems of today. So I think we have a way to generate a consensus. We have a way to be able to move forward on people's talent and ability. You and I know that most of the reason people don't succeed is poverty. It's not race in America anymore. It's because they're poor. Well, let's focus on lifting up people who are in poverty, no matter what their skin color is, and not focus on obsessing on people who are wealthy and perhaps a minority versus somebody who's not wealthy and not a minority. So hopefully we can find that consensus. Moving on to another big issue of the year, the Supreme Court is taking up a redistricting case. They have had oral arguments. What are your thoughts on the possibility of new maps well, next year? It's not the possibility. You and I know they've already predetermined the case. Everybody in Wisconsin knows that this is a farce. They have already decided they're going to draw new maps because Janet Protosiewicz, for the first time in the history of the country, predetermined cases when she was running for an election. That's wrong. But we already know what's happening. So it's not some kind of a big mystery that we don't know we're going to get maps. Um, let's remember that Republicans have had this majority in the chamber for 30 years with two years exception. And that was under maps run by a court, maps run by the legislature, maps run by a federal court. We're going to win again in 2024 because we have better candidates and a better message. One of the most important stats that people never want to talk about, um, in 2018, we had a Democrat sweep year, right? Democrats won pretty much everything, um, including uh, the U.S. Senate. We saw also Tammy Baldwin carry 14 districts that were won by Assembly Republicans. If she had just had the same people who voted for her for the federal office, and the Democrat for the assembly, they'd be in the majority right now. But we have better candidates and a better message. They are too focused on being divisive. So we're gonna have the same dynamic in 2024, as long as they don't have some kind of an Illinois style gerrymander where they pizza pie everybody into Dane County. I think we'll have competitive maps like we do now. Republicans will win the majority like we did last time, and we'll continue to have divided government in Wisconsin. All right, Speaker Voss, thanks for your time. Thanks, Zach, good to see you. This week, UW-Madison announced the Wisconsin Tribal Education Promise Program. Starting in fall 2024, members of 11 federally recognized tribes in the state will be able to attend the flagship campus All Expenses Paid for undergraduates and full tuition for law and medical students. We're joined now by UW-Madison Director of Tribal Relations, Carla Viju, for more, and thanks very much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. So what is the reaction to this uh, Tribal Education Promise Program from Tribal Nation members across Wisconsin? Um, I think everyone's really excited. Um, UW-Madison, like you said, is one of the state's, or is actually one of the country's premier universities, and we've been working with tribes for the better part of a year on this proposal and, and we finally brought it to fruition. But essentially what happens is if you are, like you said, a resident of Wisconsin, a member of one of our 11 federally recognized tribes and you get admitted to UW-Madison, we'll take care of the full cost of admission, which is not just tuition, but room, board, books, fees, and a few other little things too. What is it like for you to be able to roll this out even as Speaker Voss, whom we just heard from, works to dismantle diversity, inclusion, and equity programs. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's other things happening in the state capitol, but really for us, we sat down with tribal leaders many months ago, and we said, we have this idea, other states do it, um, other universities do it. Um, and so we talked to them and said, this is an idea we have, and how can we move forward with it? Um, we've been very fortunate. All 11 of the tribes came to the table and sat with the chancellor and I and talked it through, and we shared stories. Um, 
one of the tribal leaders talked about sleeping in his car while he was an undergrad, and others talked about, you know, food insecurity and other things. And as we sat around the table and talked about things, this is what we came up with, and I think it's a really good proposal. And there are other things happening in the world, but this is something we worked really hard on together. So as you mentioned, other states do this, but are other states um, offering such robust kind of packages <laughs> to include all of the living expenses? Uh, most don't. Uh, I think, you know, like I said, we weren't the first out of the gate with this sort of plan, but I think we're the best. Um, maybe that's just me talking, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think, you know, when like I said, we sat down and we talked through all the scenarios and um, how many semesters and what it should include and all of those things. And I think we came up to a, an agreement with the tribes that this is really how we should do it in order to support Native students. Is it unusual as well to um, pay tuition for law or medical school? <laughs> yeah, so that was where we we gave a little surprise to the tribes at one point. We said we, we spoke to the law school and the medical school and they both agreed to tuition. And you know, they're a different kind of student, right? They're a little bit older, so we didn't include some of those other things. But tuition for law school and med school, that's a very big deal. Yeah, it's a, a big expense. So there are no income restrictions with this uh, because I understand it's about promoting a UW-Madison education to Native students. Why, why is that important? Well, I think one of the things, so um, when I first sat down with the chancellor, when I first took my position, uh, she and I talked about this. And um, for us, it's both about giving back to the community, but also acknowledging that this university that we work for is built on land that was, you know, forcibly removed from the Ho-Chunk Nation. And so um, both of those things in combination of just wanting to do the right thing for Native students. Describe for us what you say is at the heart of the Native community as it relates to this program. Yeah, I think when we talked about it, like I said, it's really about taking care of our community. And I'm Native American. I grew up on the Oneida Indian Reservation. I have two little boys, Hunter and Otto. And the way we always think about community is how do we give back and how do we take care of the next seven generations? And so it's not just about decisions that are good for me or my little boys or even their kids, but seven generations down the road. How, how are we taking care of those seven generations? Do you have any understanding of how many students might participate? We do. Uh, not really, kind of. <laughs> That's a bad answer. But um, so we have some numbers, but right now people self-report. So anyone who, who uh, claims Native ancestry can report that they're Native. They don't have to. Um, but with this program, you'll have to now, you know, show your prove, prove you're enrolled in one of Wisconsin's 11 tribes. So um, we'll get better data as we go along. And, and presumably, as you said about um, offering this program, there was a certain um, amount of money set aside. Do, do you have an expectation as to what that will be? We, um, you know, we're rolling this out in, you know, December and the application deadlines February. So we're not expecting this first year to be a huge number. I think we'll see what this first year looks like and then be able to build from there. And this is really the first iteration of this program, hopefully. Maybe we can grow it or maybe this is going to be, you know, satisfactory and enough. But um, I think we'll have more data after this first year. Have you gotten calls from students oh. saying, tell me about this? I've gotten a lot of calls. <laughs> um, my poor admissions department is like probably overwhelmed by people I'm sending their way. Um, but it's really fun because, you know, family and friends are reaching out too, and I'm getting to like say, yes, they'll qualify. And um, 
I will say I also got to call one of the students who's already here on campus. She's a student from La Couture. Her name's Calistra. Calista. She joined us this week while we were announcing the program. And as I was describing the program to her, she just got silent and then very excited. And I was even a little bit overwhelmed by it all because I just got to tell someone we were going to take care of them. That's awesome. Carla Vitu, thanks very much. Thank you. In other news, Microsoft has finalized the purchase of more than 1,000 acres of land in Racine County, with 600 acres purchased from the village of Mount Pleasant this week. The tech giant says it plans to spend billions of dollars to construct new data centers. This, as the neighboring Foxconn Technology Group, is set to receive $6.3 million in business tax credits for hiring 1,000 full-time workers and investments made in 2022. The group has received received roughly $44 million from the state since 2020, a significantly scaled back sum from the original negotiated tax incentives after Foxconn's promise of 13,000 jobs and an LCD screen factory never came to fruition. Still, the company says it is committed to Wisconsin. For more on all of this, we turn to the CEO and secretary of the Wisconsin Economic Development Corporation, Missy Hughes. Secretary Hughes, thanks very much for being here. So glad to be here. So Foxconn has now qualified for a third round of state tax credits, bringing in the total amount that it has received um, from the state to nearly $44 million. Do you um, understand the long-range prospects for Foxconn after not living up to its original promise? Well, Foxconn has really become like one of the great companies that we have in Wisconsin, Milwaukee Tool, Quick Trip, all of these companies that are locating here and really settling in. So with over a thousand employees and almost $600 million in investment, we expect that Foxconn is here for the long term and will continue to produce and employ folks down in southeast Wisconsin in a really productive way. What lessons learned from Foxconn is WIDIC employing with other companies when it comes to tax credits? Well, it's really important to work with the company to understand their long-term goals, to set them up for success. So our tax credit programs are based on performance. Companies don't receive a tax credit until they perform, create the jobs, spend the CapEx. And so as we work with Foxconn, the same way we work with other companies, we want them to be successful and within the parameters of what they expect for their strategy. Now, WIDIC um, this month had to respond to a state audit in which four of the recommendations involved closer tracking of tax credits that have been awarded or need to have been revoked. Um, should we have confidence in WIDIC in the disbursement of taxpayers' money uh, toward attracting businesses? Yeah, you know, we have really over the years uh, tightened up how we verify companies and their performance around tax credits. It's critically important that the companies provide us their payroll information and their information about CapEx. We continue to work with the Legislative Audit Bureau to find ways to improve, and none of the findings of the LAB were around mis management. They were just really about how can we continue to do things better. So meanwhile, big news with Microsoft's purchase mm -hmm. of what, 1,100 acres of land that was originally designed for Foxconn. Um, with Microsoft planning to build at least four data centers, an expansion of its previously announced project, investing a billion dollars into a single data center. How big of a boost is this Microsoft deal? 
Well, having a company like Microsoft, a blue chip, a true blue chip American company, decide to create such an opportunity in Wisconsin is incredibly important and really exciting. It brings in high tech, artificial intelligence, all of these things that we see in the economy of the future. And so Microsoft choosing Wisconsin is really a testament to what we've done to create the workforce that they need, to create the infrastructure that they need, and we're so excited to have them. Here. Now, I understand that um, their data centers are expected to employ like hundreds of tech people, but potentially thousands of construction workers. What do you know about whether or not those are expected to be Wisconsin workers? Well, what we've already seen is Microsoft has started their work on a $500 million data center. They're working with a number of Wisconsin companies. And of course, you know, down there on the border of Illinois, we will see some Illinois companies experiencing uh, opportunities with Microsoft. But we know that Microsoft wants Wisconsin to succeed. Uh, Brad Smith talked about this long-term relationship that we are creating. And so it's important to Microsoft. They've already started working with you Milwaukee with Gateway Tech. So we know that they're committed to Wisconsin. I don't have to tell you that Wisconsin has seen a lot of attention in the world of economic development this year, um, including being awarded as a regional technology hub mm -hmm. uh, with the ability to apply for up to $70 million in uh, federal funding. What will this mean for the state? This is one of the most exciting things that's happened this year. Uh, this is a designation by the federal government. There are 31 around the country. But what's exciting about Wisconsin is it's really based on biohealth. And we see between Milwaukee and Madison real opportunities for companies to work together and create this amazing corridor around personalized medicine, really uh, determining how you can help someone with the exact treatment they need at the exact time that they need it. And we see opportunities around advanced manufacturing with that, research, and entrepreneurism. So all of these things will come together as part of this regional tech hub. And we'll see benefits extending up to uh, Green Bay and Eau Claire. So it's really an all-Wisconsin effort. All right. Secretary Missy Hughes, thanks very much. Thank you. For more on this and other issues facing Wisconsin, visit our website at pbswisconsin.org and then click on the News tab. That's our program for tonight. I'm Frederica Freiberg. Have a good weekend. Funding for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and Friends of PBS Wisconsin.